Welcome to Garden Views. Interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome everybody into Garden Views. We have a returning guest this week. This is Jeff Robertson. Uh, and he uh, was our crypto expert um, a few months ago. Uh, and for those of you who don't know a lot about cryptocurrency, uh, you know, or think you do, but you're not sure, you didn't hear the prior show, I'd recommend that you listen to it. Uh, Jeff is very much an advocate for cryptocurrency. I'm a bit of a skeptic. And this isn't exactly a 201 uh, course or, or podcast. It's going to sort of go into sort of some of the items that have uh, emerged, some of the developing issues, which seem to be timely. We're recording this on July 13th. I'm sure I'll drop this you know, before August rolls around. So, Jeff, thanks very much for coming into Garden Views. How's everything going? Pretty good. Thank you for having me back. All right, cool. No, no, it's our pleasure. Thank you for coming back. So I reached out to you, and you're always very gracious. And you know, a few questions, you know, basics. What's an NFT, and what's their relationship to, to crypto? But more importantly, you know, every day you, you see uh, some article, uh, you know, on you know, man loses his down payment because he invested all in crypto. One of the major crypto uh, outlets has gone bankrupt and has been insolvent all along. Uh, there seems to be a little bit of volatility or maybe a lot of volatility. And just what's going on there? Is this is this just a new market acting like a new market where they're bad players? What are we seeing? And tell us what to look out for and, and whether we should, whether if you're a crypto investor or not, whether you should panic or not. Sure. Yeah, I think you, you said it pretty well with like, you know, a new market acting like a new market. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm thinking back to our first kind of session and, and one thing that I was really hoping to try to express is that if you're looking at what's going on from like a financial or a US dollar perspective, you, you've kind of missed the point of, of what's what's kind of emerging right now. Um, and though of course, you know, US dollar is very much tied to it, people are, are you know, either making lots of money, they're losing lots of money um, because of it. Um, there's a there's an underlying technology that should be the main focus and what should be the primary uh, topic. Like what's being built? What does this infrastructure provide us as a species? Um, and you know, I can dive into NFTs. I can kind of dive into how they relate to the blockchain if you want. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that sure. when we talk about like the financial aspect of this, I of course am not you know, advocating from a financial perspective, oh, you need to invest in cryptocurrencies. It's more that like we now have these new world computers that can keep track of information for us. They transcend government and corporate control. And because they transcend government and corporate control and nobody owns them, who's paying for it? Well, they pay for themselves um, because they have their own economy. And they're uh, first and foremost, the cryptocurrencies are the economy of, of these world computers. Bitcoin was the first one. Like the first, you know, computer that ever came out there, it's kind of really can do basic math and uh, it can really only keep track of who has what Bitcoin. Um, but more complex systems have been made. Ethereum is kind of like the, the foremost um, system out there. There's like Solana and other ones like that, but they do far more. They keep track of uh, lots of other things, including 
NFTs or non-fungible tokens. Uh, so basically you have a system that like, can not only keep track of like who has Ether, the underlying cryptocurrency uh, for Ethereum, but any token that you mint on that system. Um, and so when you have like a computer that anybody can use, that anybody can trust, it's not owned by any government or any corporation, it becomes trustless, meaning like anybody can, they don't have to worry about trust for it to keep track of information for you. And that's what I think we should be really focusing on here is that that's what has emerged with this new technology. So if you're someone who doesn't have faith in governments, or even if you do, but you just don't, <laughs> you want to be independent of governments or you're afraid of the, uh, the new world order, you can sort of forge your own or be part of an alternative new world order, one that's more to, to your liking. Is, is, I don't mean well, I would, you. I wouldn't you. say that. It's just that like, I just look at the trajectory of like our, of our species from an anthropological standpoint. Like, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with like, uh, this is kind of a joke, but somewhat serious is what zoo theory is and that like, you know, there are other beings out there that are like, kind of watching us. <laughs> Oh, and right now they're going. And right now they're going. Oh, they've made it to the world computer stage. They finally figured out how to build a world computer that they can all use and keep track of information for themselves. And they don't have to rely on some company that's going to steal their data um, or their money or something. But that's just kind of like how I look at it. It's like that's it's more of like a, an evolutionary step for our species. Right now, clear, clearly, you don't listen to Garden of Doom because, of course, I'm familiar with zoo theory. But for those who mm -hmm. don't, also don't, who don't listen to Garden of Doom, but you've managed to stumble upon this show, you've or you've chosen this one instead of its sister shows. Zoo theory is basically that we are being observed. We've always been observed. Maybe we're the we've been panspermia or whatever, but maybe not even always being observed. But for whatever it is, we're being observed now. At some point, we 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 became uh, we we were made our presence was made aware to some other uh intergalactic uh species or spe or maybe plural um and they're watching us and and seeing how our progress is going and and so they're they're seeing this and saying oh that that that's cool that's a sign of progress yeah that's that's how i would look at it and of course like as you said with any market there's going to be issues there are human beings involved so of course there's going to be scams like you know there's lots and lots of scams. There's always bad actors. Um, but I think that if you try to look at it from the perspective of investing in a world computer, like if that's how you look at this, I want to invest in world computing, something that's going to help our species keep track of stuff, then that will help guide you in your decision-making process if you do choose to invest in this stuff, right? There's a lot of talk about things like Dogecoin um, and um, Shiba Inu and all the NFT bullshit that happened in the past couple of years where to me, that's like kind of a runaway situation. And again, I'm not saying, you know, if you choose to invest in something like that, then that's you know, up to you. It's just that like, when you approach this, I just highly advocate that you think of it from the perspective of, okay, I want to think of these machines as something that keeps track of information for us. And that's what I'm investing, in, not I'm trying to get rich quick. Well, let's get this out of the way early. Probably should have done it at the very beginning, but this is not an investment show. This is not a financial no. advice yeah. show. This is for information education, whatever you want to take from it. But, you know, no one here is your financial planner. You should talk to your own professionals, use your own judgment. Or if you have bad judgment, just talk to your professionals, whatever it is. Don't, don't rely on us. This is just for information and you should certainly weigh it against other stuff. But Jeff is a great resource. Uh, it's making himself available. And, you know, he, he believes in, in sort of the uh, idolization, not the idolization in idolatry, but in that it's an ideal. It's more of an ideal situation to be part of this voluntary community that is sort of safeguarded by these independent computers. 
Um, when you say that the, the computer can keep track of stuff, what what kind of stuff do you mean? What, you can do an including but not limited to uh, list, which is, of course, a lawyer's favorite tactic, the including but not limited to. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to do a good job of, of bringing stuff concisely. Um, what kinds of information? All right, so when it comes to the traditional internet, and there's a term for this, I forget what it's called, but there's this problem of like, it's hard to keep track of the original copy of something. Um, with visual stuff, you can make duplicates. Like if I send you a photo on my phone, now we both have that file, and it's hard to keep track of like who has like the original. Um, well, the way that these these world computers work, and I don't want to go through the. I mean, I, I do have a very extensive analogy that I can talk about. I can direct you to um, some videos that I've made that, that go through it. But basically, you just have think of a bunch of computers sitting around a poker table, and they're all watching poker chips on that table being moved around to who has what when they get created. Basically anything on that poker table gets kept track of by these computers and they're all keeping the same documents. Um, and each of their documents, they're called, it's basically blockchain. Think of each one of them taking like a never ending photo strip of pictures of the, of the, um, the uh, poker table. They all have the same copy. Um, and every time they take a new photo, after something changes, they all get a copy of it and it adds to, to the blockchain. Again, I'll give you a link later yeah i'll put in the show notes yeah the, the point the point that i'm trying to make here is like you they're they're watching this decentralized ledger and when something gets put on that decentralized ledger say an nft gets minted oh i'm going to create an nft and this nft is going to represent a piece of artwork or it's going to represent my car title right you have a singular entity that can't be duplicated now somebody could try to like fake mint something yeah that can happen but the original if you know minted by the person who owns it um, from their wallet, right? Uh, everyone has a wallet that, that connects to them. Um, it, it can't be duplicated. And it can be kept track of uh, for perpetuity, like immutably, um, completely transparent. You can always see where that's that's moved. And from, uh, when you think about art, you know, and this is kind of like, I have my theory why NFTs and art have become the first thing that this technology has really been used for. And that's that, you know, the people who built it are going to start using it for their other side project, which is I'm going to use it to, it to kind of like try to sell my artwork in digital format. But I think what you're going to start to see is that it will start to represent more concrete objects. Like I said, like a car title or something like that, where you buy a car and it transfers, you get transferred the NFT that represents the title. That NFT could be in the wallet that's on your phone. And when you approach your car, it unlocks and turns on because it knows it's you, that kind of thing. Um, that's what might be coming down the road with this technology. And no one else can get that unless you transfer them the NFT, you send it to their their wallet. Um, and um, where was I going with this? Yeah. So basically, all the computers that all these like distributed computers all over the world are keeping track of this information for us. And um, in order to use them, you have to pay like a fee every time you send something or, or mint something on these these platforms. You have to pay a fee. Um, and that fee is paid in the underlying cryptocurrency. So again, when I was saying, if these things transcend corp corporate or government control, who's paying for them, they have to pay for themselves, right? It can't be in US dollars or like rubles or something like that. It has to right. be its own thing. And um, that's the, the first and foremost point of cryptocurrency is that it's the underlying economy of these world computers. And so if you want it to do something for you, like a jukebox, you have to put uh, not a quarter, like a US quarter in it, but you got to pay the jukebox it, to, to play the song for you. And so you pay the jukebox in cryptocurrency. So it, it, you need to use the cryptocurrency because otherwise it can't sustain itself. That makes it sustainable because uh, 
if you were using a different currency in the cryptocurrency economy. I mean, that's sort of like an underlying sign of lack of confidence. But uh, I'm going not to but, but this is a question. Am I correct if you had, you know, another currency you could convert it into the cryptocurrency universe? Is there like a bank or an exchange? Oh, absolutely. And and so this is where uh, it's a great question. And um, I think about where to start because there's so much information that I could try to convey here to, to help um, give you an answer. Uh, the most basic answer here, is there a bank? Yes, there are lots of on and off ramps out there. Coinbase is one of the biggest ones in, um, the, in America. It's one of the main ones. It's dealing with a lot of problems right now as a business because like it grew very, 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 very quickly um, over the past couple of years. And now we're going into what we call crypto winter, which I can talk about later. It's actually um, very common. It happens every four years. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're kind of dealing with, with that right now. Um, but these are on and off ramps that you can use to buy cryptocurrency. And they can also hold it for you. They become the custodians of it. So you can basically set up a bank account with Coinbase or other platforms like it. I'm not advocating or trying to sell Coinbase here. It's just like a very familiar one. Um, and, and, you know, you can buy and exchange uh, cryptocurrency through that platform. So it becomes an on and off ramp for your uh, U.S. dollar. Now, once you have cryptocurrency, <clears throat> you can start using it throughout Web3. And so Web3 is kind of an umbrella term that we'll use to talk about um, what's being developed on the internet that really uses blockchain as its underlying storage mechanism of data. Uh, so with Web2, we have servers, we have clouds, you know, these things are owned by um, corporations like, you know, where does Facebook keep all of its data? Like it has its own servers. Where does Google keep all of its data? It has its own servers. Um, and um, if something were to happen to them, then, then the data gets lost. With Web3, you have these decentralized world computers that store the data for you. Um, and so Web3 kind of uses those to keep track of information. So as you move around in Web3, the cryptocurrency, can, you know, you can use that to pay for things or buy goods. Um, and uh, yeah, so you use them as on and off, these banks as on and off ramps. And then once you get into the system, you can use the cryptocurrency. And think of it kind of like if you went to a different country, this is kind of a stretch analogy, but like if you were to go to a different country to, to Europe, you would have to exchange things for for the Euro, right? Like while you're there, if you want to buy something, you got to pay for it with, with the Euro. Um, so think of it like that. If you want to interact with Web3, you're going to have to pay for things with cryptocurrency. Sure. Is there a credit card that, operates in both worlds. You know how like when you go to a different country, people say, use your American Express card because it'll always give you the best conversion rate. Um, you know, uh, is there like a, a some credit card that operates in both worlds that can maximize your benefit? Um, you can buy, or, or is that just not a thing? I'm sure, no, I'm sure there is. I know that a lot of like, I'm pretty sure Coinbase has like a, a checking card that you can use. And what it would do is if you were in, you know, let's say you went to a restaurant and you paid for something and, dollars it would just probably you know maybe sell up i'm not sure how it works i don't have one but i'm assuming what it does it deducts it from your cryptocurrency holdings um like we would sell some of it to, to pay it and was your crypto credit not good enough to get one? Oh no i just like i've never really felt the need for it i'm kidding because I'm, 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 I'm what you call a hodler a holder like i don't i don't because i don't use my this all goes back to my point like if you're investing in cryptocurrency to make money, then you've already missed the point of what's going on. Right. So you're I don't not, really use my cryptocurrency to pay for goods in U.S. dollars. I use it to interact with Web3. 
is there or such I a hold on to it because I know this was going to happen in the future, is, or I believe this was going to happen in the future. Is there such a thing as crypto credit? Is there like a credit score equivalent for, for cryptocurrency? <laughs> so um, it's I get what you're saying here. Um, I, I'm not sure. It's another thing that goes on with with web with web three is this whole DeFi. I heard this De- decentralized finance and. One of the things that's being made possible by these world computers is, I have heard the term smart contracts, where you can write code um, that will conduct some sort of if X, then Y uh, procedure or for you automatically if conditions are met. And so people are using this to really expand DeFi where you can get loans with your own cryptocurrency. So I could go put up like some Bitcoin, it would give me a whatever cryptocurrency that I wanted that I could then go use to do something else with, right? And once I pay it back, I get my Bitcoin back. Um, there's also staking, which is a, a really big thing where if you have a certain amount of cryptocurrency with um, uh, that, that, that goes by this proof of stake mechanism, which is something that Ethereum is switching to and, and currently is in the process of, of finalizing. But you can put your cryptocurrency into like a wallet that helps support the network. It becomes one of these nodes that's you know watching the, the, the poker table I was talking about and keeping uh, track of everything. Um, you will earn more cryptocurrency, and so you can just put it up and and basically earn. We can call it interest, but it's more of like a reward uh, for having it up there, and then you can use that. Um, you know, it's making making more uh, making more of it. And you can use it however you like. But is there some sort of crypto a credit? score for people with cryptocurrency not that i know of. um but it does there's a lot of like ways that you can leverage this new technology to go about getting loans and things like that without the need of having your credit score checked okay now you said earlier something called crypto winter which sounds a lot like ned stark saying winter is coming so it sounds yeah. a little ominous so what, what is crypto winter you know it comes every four years so yeah it comes about every four years it's like a leap so, year um yeah let's kind of roll back to about 2008. In 2008, this white paper came out. It was the first time Bitcoin was introduced to the world. And um, it was you know, put out as like a peer-to-peer payment system. Well, I've always, when I, because I teach, I taught a course um, for a few years at, at University of Maryland's Human Computer Interaction Master's Program about blockchain, what was going on, helping kids that, that do design, um, human computer interaction design, about, about the technology, the differences that, that they kind of, the implications that it, that it imposes when it comes to UX design, user experience design. But the way I've always explained this to them is like, think of it as a world computer because then you as human computer interaction, students can think of it as like human world computer interaction. And so I've always expressed that the Bitcoin white paper wasn't necessarily like a peer-to-peer financial payment thing. It was more so a blueprint of how do you build a world computer? Because since then people have taken this concept and really, um, expanded and made it into something you know, far more extensive. Now, part of the way Bitcoin works is you have these nodes all over the world, like I was talking about, you have computers all over the world that are kind of watching this decentralized ledger and keeping track of what's going on. With Bitcoin, every 10 minutes, those computers have to come to a consensus on what just happened, like what kind of transactions happened. And so the computers come to an agreement on how it went down and a new block gets added to the blockchain. Basically, if you think of the computers looking at this poker table and 
Bitcoin gets moved around to different wallets. They take a photo of it when they all agree on it, and they all get a copy of that photo, and it goes on top of um, the strip of photos that they've been you know, collecting. Now, the computer that went first in terms of identifying those changes gets a reward, more Bitcoin. Basically, one of the computers says, oh, I'm going to identify the changes. I go first, and if everyone agrees with me, then um, a new block gets added, and I get a reward in Bitcoin. Now, every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that that node, that computer gets for the reward, gets cut in half. It's called a halving. And it's part of you know, the economic program that has gone into Bitcoin. People talk about who is Satoshi Nakamoto, the guy, uh, the person, or they, you know, whoever it is that invented Bitcoin. Most likely, it's a group of people, given the complexity of the different... Um, professional areas that, that have gone into it from you know, cryptology, computer programming, uh, computer engineering, um, economics, just like aspects of, 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 of human social behavior, all these things have kind of gone into the thinking of, of Bitcoin. And so in order to kind of increase, well, not increase, but decrease supply, right? And therefore increasing demand every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that a node receives when it forms to do black gets cut in half. And so if you look at the trajectory of Bitcoin from like, a, if you do like chart analysis on, um, you know, for trading or something like that, you can see its progress and that it goes through these cycles every four years where about a year or so after the happening, you get this big bubble and then it pops and it goes down, right? And you go into this crypto winter and it seems that Cryptocurrency has have all followed this. It happened in 2014, it happened in 2018, it's now happening in 2022, right? Every, about every four years this happens. Now, what's happened also, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not an economist, I'm not a trader, I don't do this stuff, but it's kind of obvious. Like what else is going on right now is we have another market downturn for other reasons, right? We have like inflation stuff. So this crypto winter is a little bit deeper than they have been in the past, but that's like, this is part of the course of cryptocurrencies that you have these cycles so about every four years, it goes up, 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 and then down, 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 down. And then during this time, this is my favorite time because this is a time where all of the infrastructure starts getting built behind the scenes while the general public is off dealing with something else and not watching, you know, the news about Bitcoin. All of the teams, all the projects and things like that that have kind of survived thus far are building more and more infrastructure. And you'll see all of this advancement the next time that this cycle starts kind of coming through. NFTs, the metaverse, this stuff was not even talked about that much during the 2018 cycle. Four years later, all of a sudden, the metaverse and NFTs are the biggest thing during this cycle. Bitcoin and Ethereum still were, you know, very big drivers, you know, um, during that cycle. But there was all this other new stuff that has been built on top of the, the foundation of, of those things um, that we saw. And so I suspect in another four years, you know, we'll, this cycle will, will happen again. Is, is this because people are taking out their, their, they're converting the Bitcoin into regular dollars to cover other things? And, and so they're underfunding the market or it's just a typical economics or is it literally because this happening happens that... Um, there's less, uh, there's less supply, so the demand is there. So people who are trying to buy into it, they need to do something else with their money just because there's less, there's less availability. Yeah, I really, I mean, I think that the, the complexities of the market are, you know, so far advanced 
in terms of the complexity that my mind will never, you know, I, I don't have the answer to that. I just okay. know that like, it seems to follow this pattern and that this kind of thing, the supply of Bitcoin, the happening, all that was taken into consideration when designing the programming behind Bitcoin to try to keep its value uh, increasing over time. Okay. Um, at, at some point they will have mined all of the Bitcoin possible. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin right now. I think they've mined about 18 million. I'm not really sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, and, you know, given the next 25 to 50 years, they probably mine the rest because it will take longer to do it because the reward structure keeps decreasing. And once they've, just to throw this out there, once they finally mined all the Bitcoin, the incentive for people to continue to, you know, keep track of information, have these computers out there is the um, transaction fees. Because every time you send Bitcoin to somebody, you have to pay at the jukebox a little bit in Bitcoin. And that is also what is part of the reward that these uh, miners, these nodes get when they create a block. But to be clear, the, 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 the mining can only mine so much Bitcoin. It's not like if I came in with $100 billion that I could get that other 3 million Bitcoin. It doesn't work that way. Correct. It had to be created. So think again, like all of these computers looking at this um, poker table, when they all come to consensus on all the transactions that's occurred, they take a photo of the table, they all get a copy and the computer that wins first in their wallet, that's like, you know, think of the poker chips that sit in front of a poker player, all of a sudden, chink, 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 like a couple more get added to it. It gets created by the system. And because it's on the poker table, it now gets kept track of by everybody watching the poker table. So it gets added to that system. But now... You know, every four years, the number of Bitcoin that get added each time a new block is made gets cut in half until eventually there will be no more Bitcoin being added to the poker table. Only the Bitcoin that exists on that poker table will be what is watched. And the reward that these nodes get for, for watching it will be the, just the transaction fees that occur when you, you know, pass a Bitcoin across the table to another wallet. So these nodes are sort of individual business communities or like cooperatives? Uh, that's a good question. So, um, so here's you get into a lot of the, I guess, the philosophical, you know, discussions that that come with how all this stuff works. When it comes to how this consensus happens on these different systems, and, and we can look at Bitcoin and we can look at Ethereum as examples. Um, there are two main flavors out there. There's what's called proof of work, and then there's proof of stake. Currently, Bitcoin is proof of work. It's what has always been. Ethereum is proof of work now, but it is transitioning to proof of stake. Proof of work means that in order for you to mine Bitcoin, to have your computer be part of the network that's watching this decentralized ledger and keeping track of things and being rewarded for when you accurately uh, identify the changes that have been made, you have to have a very powerful computer, a mining rig as they call it. And the reason that you have to have a very powerful computer is that proof of work operates on the fact that the computer that goes first does so because they're solving a very complex cryptographic puzzle. And I heard one uh, engineer give an analogy once that I think is kind of the best way to do it. Like, imagine a bunch of computers again sitting around the uh, poker table and a bunch of stuff happens. One of them needs to get chosen to go first. Well, who gets chosen to go first? Well, they all have a boggle set in front of them. You know what boggle is? It's like a little mm -hmm. dish of dice, right? And their goal is to shake the tray until you get all A's across the top, right? And that's something that's very hard to do, but very easy to verify. Meaning the second one of them gets it right, all the other computers can look across the table like, oh, fuck, Bob got it, right? Like, Bob gets to go first because he solved the cryptographic puzzle. 
And so it's a little bit more complex. The cryptographic puzzle has to do with um, cryptographically tying all the new transaction data to a prior block, but it's, a, it's just a mathematical um, equation that, that it's trying to solve. And so to do that, you have to have a very powerful computer with a lot of a good CPU in it because it has to do it, it has to shake that bottle set really, 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 really fast. And so the average person, you and I, we can't really mine Bitcoin because we can't compete with that. And you do have businesses who have set up their entire purpose as mining Bitcoin. They just buy up mining rigs and that's all that they do is, is, is mine Bitcoin. Thus, this kind of issue of like, does that start to lead to some form of centralization where you have like some sort of company or business that has a lot of the mining rigs and therefore is making controlling you know what I mean controlling more the nodes that are out there. Now the other flavor that I mentioned is, is proof of stake. And so proof of stake is different from proof of work. The cryptographic puzzle aspect is not part of it. Instead, and I mentioned this earlier, what you do is you put up some of your cryptocurrency in a wallet. Say, okay, I've got some Ethereum, I'm gonna put it in my wallet and it's going to get locked in there and that wallet is going to be on a computer that helps keep track of what's on the poker table now the good news with this is anybody can do this you can do this with your own computer you don't need a specialized rig you just need some ethereum and you can stake it and you can just let your computer be part of the group of computers looking at that poker table to help keep track of things the way i would explain it is think of them as like a raffle ticket there's like a big uh, punch bowl in the middle of the poker table that has raffle tickets that coincide with everybody's like um, coins in their wallet. And if yours gets picked every time that you need to make a new block, then you're the one that gets the reward. And so here comes the kind of fundamental problem with that. Those that have more tokens have more tickets in the raffle bowl and have a higher chance of, of being picked to go first. So there's the possibility of people being able to, um, you know, have, the, the, the issue of, of centralization becomes problematic when you look at it from that, that standpoint. Sure. But, yeah, I'm sure you probably have some questions. Yeah, um, though that one maybe is beyond my ability to formulate a question to ask about. Okay. <laughs> so let, let's let's go to some of the simpler stuff you said. You know, first of all, let, let's define what an NFT is and how it's related to then what you were talking about with the metaverse and how is that related to um, a cryptocurrency? Sure. So with the Ethereum... Again, I, I use Ethereum because it's was the first system to really do this. There are other ones out there like Solana, um, but I like to talk about Ethereum. Um, with the Ethereum world computer, not only does it keep track of who has what Ethereum, but it can keep track of other tokens. And so you can come to the Ethereum world computer and say, I want to generate a whole new set of poker chips, right? And they get thrown on the table. And what you can therefore are kept track of by all of the computers that are watching and you can start assigning different things to these tokens, like pieces of art, um, like really anything that you want. Think of them as kind of like a uh, digital capsule that you can put anything you kind of want into it, and it will be kept track of for perpetuity by the uh, Ethereum world computer. And so what we saw you know, over the past couple of years is people using this to keep track of artwork, people putting mm -hmm. up their digital artwork and selling it. Um, and yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of bullshit out there. For me, I think it's really cool because it gives artists that, you know, genuine artists, another avenue in which to make money um, off from, from patrons, right? And another way that I look at this is like, if you're an artist, you most likely have to have digital presence anyways. You go onto Instagram, other forms of social media, and you're 
posting your content. You gotta post it there for free just to stay relevant. Well, what if there is a way for people to buy that content? You know what I mean? There's a way for someone to be like, I really love that that piece of art. I want to patron you as an artist. Um, I'm gonna buy your NFT. So what you're already posting to the internet could have value. But because it's all being tied to that NFT, it's like everyone can see who owns that NFT. It's not like it's ambiguous who has it. It's one very specific wallet. It can be in at a time. Here's where I lose that train. Um, I'm an artist. I'm Leonardo da Vinci. I make beautiful oil paintings. I want to make that as an NFT, but the best I can do is, is sell them a digital version, which I guess is a e-lithograph, basically. Um, so the original oil painting is still out there in the universe. You as the buyer just may have the only digital version of it. Mm -hmm. So in, in this, I mean, it offers some unique um, opportunities to be very inventive. And it's a great point that you bring up. And, and I think, again, this is an opportunity for there to be some really cool ways of leveraging this technology. Okay. So when it comes to physical art, yeah, there's an issue when it's not digitalized. Like when you look at a lot of this artwork that's with the NFTs, these are all digital pieces of artwork. They are generated in some sort of digital program. Okay. They were not created physically. They were created digitally. And this is a way of keeping track of digital art with the same, and there's a word for it. Give me a second to try to remember it. Oh my God. Hold on one second. What's that? Provenance time, my wife chimes in. Yeah, the provenance of a piece of artwork. Basically, it's history. Who, the where the provenance, is that the word she said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, fancy. So, like, with art, like, if you're Leonardo da Vinci, how do you prove that this is something that came from him? Like, there should be paperwork. There's a paper trail that leads it back that says that this is authentic. Well, with NFTs, that is never questioned because you can always see who minted that NFT first and where it went. That is totally transparent in a way that is not possible right now in the physical art world. And I'm sure that you can go and watch a couple documentaries on, on Netflix to see just how often like fake art gets sold. Sure. Um, so here's a way to leverage NFTs to maybe help with that. Let's say you get a, um, someone, you know, they find a, a hidden compartment in an attic someplace when they're renovating the house. And in there, they find what is signed as like a lost Monet painting. Holy shit. So they take it to somebody who can verify that it is actually a moment. Well, what they could do is they could create an NFT that represents that physical thing in a digital format. And this is going with a way of how you could leverage NFTs um, to aid in physical art. And what you do is you have an NFT that represents it digitally. And let's say you put a... Uh, an RF chip like on the on, on, on the, the painting itself, something that has like data tied to it that stores the information about that NFT. Now, when that painting moves from one museum to the other, you also have to transfer the NFT along with it. And so here comes, a, it's a little bit of cultural adoption that has to come with it, but it's a kind of thing where like at some point we will be thinking, okay, you're handing me this, Where's the NFT that goes along with it? Right. Where's where's the NFT of authenticity that comes with it? If it's you don't chipped. have it and it doesn't match this this the data that's on this thing, then then it's fake and I don't trust it. Does that also authenticate the uniquenesses of it? So if I make if I was back to the you know, the Monet, I make a digital Monet, I sell it with the RF chip, 
And but I decide I want I'm sneaky. I want to make a whole bunch of them. Will the computer, the blockchains, will they recognize it? Hey, there's already one out there. This is a copy. Well, so it would come from the wallet that you um, minted from. So everybody would has a wallet when you go on to Web3. And the wallet is something that is very important to kind of understand because it's, it's, it's very fundamental to how all this works. And I had to go at the kind of uh, roll back a little bit here to give some ex explanation. Web2, when you go and, you know, check into your Google account or your, your, your bank account or, you know, whatever uh, profile that you have with some sort of um, platform, what do you do? You enter in your login credentials. Oh, there's my email address and here is my password. And what happens is you submit that and that gets sent to the back end, you know, server or, or cloud or wherever that's your information is being stored and it authenticates it. Oh yeah, we have all this data and the access credentials for this data are that email address and that password. You now have access to all this data and you can interact. That's what happens when you sign in to various things. The problem with that is like, the back end has all that data about you and it's it's sold like that's not a conspiracy theory that gets stolen it gets sold people are using your data um, to make money with web 3 you don't have login credentials anymore what you have is a wallet private key and that private key connects to a public key on the uh the ledger the, the, the blockchain system the ethereum world computer if you will and so when your wallet connects to the world computer with that private key, it acts like your logging credentials. And so whatever you do on the world computer gets tied back to that wallet. And this is actually kind of what makes it kind of special when it comes to um, moving around Web3. For your information from Facebook to connect with that, you know, like your banks or something like that, you have to have APIs talking to one another. That's a lot of infrastructure that has to be passed and maintained. With Web3, you just have your private key and everything that's tied to you follows you around. You don't need any of that. It just follows you. Um, so when you go, let's say that you, you know, find this Monet and you donate it to a museum. The museum would have a wallet that is minting NFTs that correspond with all of the art that they are minting NFTs for. We know that that is the Smithsonian's wallet. When they mint NFTs, they're doing it to their uh, their uh, Smithsonian uh, token type, like they have their own token type that they've created. And so anything that is minted under that wallet, we know is the Smithsonian. Anybody else that mints something claiming that it's this Monet is not the right one. It's a fraud because it's not coming from the wallet we know is connected to the Smithsonian. So the computer knows that there's the, the original, the whether it was the real original or, or just someone did something first, it's been done once and it can't be done again. I mean, you could do it. You could take a photo of it. But then again, you can also go to, you know, a gift shop at, at the Louvre and buy a, a poster of the, the Mona Lisa and put up on your wall. You're not fooling anybody. It's not the, the, the Mona Lisa. We all know it's a copy, right? Right. The real one is being hung up on the wall and having cake thrown at it from, I don't know if you remember that. Story from a yep, I do. Uh, yep, I anyway, do. But you see my point. Like, you know, duplication of art isn't anything new. People can do it, but it's like there's just a social understanding of which one is the original and is authenticated by some sort of like entity that, that oversees it. The difference here is that you're just using a the world computer to keep track of who has the NFT. The Smithsonian Institution uses their wallet to create an entity that represents this thing in digital format and that token then follows 
um, the, the painting around to the various museums it goes to for exhibition, and we can see it move from wall to wall as it does. Okay, so it's not a fail-safe about, about people doing knockoffs. It's not its own sort of copyright protection, copyright police no. within no, the system. No. Okay, gotcha. All right. Um, all right, so the next one was metaverse. So the metaverse is a very, another great umbrella term right now, and it's going to take years to find really what this is. But I like to think of it as, uh, with Web 3, think of it as Web 3D, Web 3-dimensional, both that which gets expanded out into our physical world through augmented reality or um, what's it called? XR, uh, immersive reality, like different kinds of reality. We can wear glasses and it like overlays information, right? All that information mm-hmm. is being pulled from the web is part of the web, but it is augmented on top of our three-dimensional physical world. But it also means the three-dimensional world in a virtual sense where like, Video games. Video games are kind of that way right now. You can go into a three-dimensional world and and walk around. But if you do it with a VR headset, it becomes all the more real. And so the metaverse is kind of, think of it as like an umbrella term that represents this kind of interactive space that is powered by the web, that is both kind of protruding out into our physical world, as well as that which goes into um, the digital world like into, you know, the virtual space. And you will be able to explore that and traverse that um, in, in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Um, how can somebody sort of weed out the bad players and stick with the good players? I know this is not an advice show, but obviously some some of the uh, – there's been market corrections. Is there any way to tell that in advance or it's – it's it's just dumb luck. I mean, I don't want to say it's dumb luck. I think it's like in, in any way you just have to be kind of savvy about what's out there. Look at a project, identify who's involved with it. Like if shady people are involved with it, then don't get involved with it. Or, and this is just, again, not financial advice, you could just stay invested in the underlying mechanisms. Like Ethereum... The world, the Ethereum world computer will be what supports all of these other tokens and things like that. So you know it has utility. It will always have utility because people have to use it. Now, you and I, we could create some sort of token on the Ethereum world computer and our business could go put, right? And that token no longer has any value. But that doesn't cause the Ethereum world computer to, to go down. There's lots of other things that are being built on top of it. And so it will always kind of like have that utility. And so the, I guess, you know, like just look at, look at a project and, and look at what it's providing and, and try to think about what utility it provides and if it's something that you think is sustainable. Now, another thing that has, I think we should be mentioned here, and I don't know how much time we have here before I think it cuts off, but there's this thing called DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. So this is a, a, a big thing to kind of look at right now. DAOs are a way for people from all over the world to come together and work on a project together by basically creating a token that is used as their voting and their own economy. So there is a world in the metaverse called Decentraland. Decentraland is built basically on top of um, the Ethereum world computer. It's a finite virtual space. There's only 90,000 parcels in it. You can own a parcel by buying it as an NFT. And if you own that entity, you are able to build things on it. 
but you don't have to buy stuff. You can still go there and you can walk around and interact with things that are, that are there. Now, Decentraland is a DAO and their underlying token is called MANA, M-A-N-A. And so to buy an NFT of land in Decentraland, you have to buy it with MANA. To buy any goods while you are walking around Decentraland, you have to use MANA. If you are part of the Decentraland DAO in terms of making decisions on what will get developed, what kind of bugs need to be fixed, should we take on a new marketing you know, campaign, that kind of thing, you vote on these proposals with MANA. And so it's a way for projects to become decentralized, democratized, and have their own economy that is used to pay uh, contractors and things to do things. For example, this is what I used to do. This is how I got into this. I would approach these teams, these DAOs, and say, my name is Jeff Robertson. My background is in uh, human factors and applied cognitive psychology. I've worked as a user experience researcher for many years. Um, I can help you design things. I can help you test things for usability. Um, this is what I would charge. You would pay me in your cryptocurrency and I would provide you with these services. And the, the DAO, the team would vote on whether or not my proposal would be picked up or not. And if it got picked up, I would get paid in that cryptocurrency and I would do my work. Now, what I did with that cryptocurrency later on, you know, it doesn't really matter, but that's just how that operates. So you have a way of paying your, your, your work with this um, token. You have a way of voting democratically with this token and it gets used for any other purposes that that exist within your your, um, within so, your project so you're bartering but you're not necessarily just bartering for something with a dollar equivalent you're also getting a part in a community you're getting a vote in sort of a cooperative and yeah. possibly it's a financial game but if not it gives you access to this metaverse where you can enjoy whatever is offered in that metaverse um, by using just the exchange of these bitcoins that these these tokens that you already have. Yeah, I would say it gives you access. I mean, in some ways it does because you could buy tokens that allow you to enter a certain building. But again, go back to the analogy of going to Europe. You can go to Europe and not pay a dime. You know what I mean? You can just show up. That doesn't mean you have to pay for anything. So you can go into the central land, which is just one of many of these worlds, right? And not buy anything. You don't need mana. But while you're there, if you want to buy something, you go into one of these virtual stores and you want to buy a new outfit for your avatar, you would have to pay in mana. Okay. Well, it, it, it sounds like uh, you got mana, you've got the Israelites moving around the Sinai for 40 years and uh, yeah, <laughs> eventually, uh, eventually going to get to Eden, I suppose, uh, work, work the way all the way backwards. Uh, so we'll come full, full circle that Eden will be in the, in the um, cyberverse. So, all right. I think I understand it a little bit better. I think I understand why there's been volatility. I think some of it, it sounds like it's part of this uh, cyber winter that it's predictable and it fits a pattern. It's also part of the overall economic picture uh, in the world. And, and it's also because, because it's new, there's been some maybe not great players or people with not great plans. And, you know, the market is shaking some of them out of there, but the the survivors, the base is still working, uh, especially if you buy into it as a long-term or forever thing more than, yeah. you know, like a share of Apple that you, you know, you want to buy it at a hundred and sell it for 150. Again, like, yeah, I, I try not to promote anything from a financial standpoint, but I will say this, like the Bitcoin that I've bought or purchased, I'm not buying for myself. I'm buying for my grandkids and I don't even have kids yet. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how, what I'm looking at here in terms of trajectory is that 
down in the future, this is how the economy might be working, given how much uh, there's a lot of advantageousness to to this stuff and, and, and having these world computers keep track of things that down the line, if you look at our species and our trajectory, like it would make sense that we have some sort of like world computer that keeps track of things for us. Well, fortune does favor the brave or so they tell me. Um, so it, it could be that or the bold doesn't have to be the brave, not always the same thing. Um, so yeah, uh, it, you know, it's almost like if you, uh, believe that Elon Musk is going to get Mars and he's selling deeds to land, you can buy it. Maybe it won't be worth anything one day, but if he does become king of Mars, uh, you, you're going to get yourself a barony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that close? Is that at all close or is that completely? I mean, in a way, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, you don't know if it's going to happen or not. Um, but if it does, then you'd be very happy that, that got involved early on. Are you interested in our own little metaverse? It's not the central land, but is Jeff Zikistan? <laughs> uh, I believe that we are already in the metaverse and that this is all just a simulation. All right. Jeff Zikistan with a J though, not a G. Sure. Okay. So you're in, you're on that. All right. Well, that's excellent. That was a true negotiation on my point, uh, my part. So Jeff Zikistan is going to be real in the metaverse. If you just believe, um, Thank you, Jeff. I, I know that we're running short on the Zoom time. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to have to listen back to this a few times to digest it, but uh, I, hopefully the listeners, you know, they weren't trying to think of their own questions and things like that and follow-ups. So hopefully they got it better than I did. And, and when I go back, I'll digest it. But um, I, I also tend not to think in three dimensions, period. So uh, math has always been a hard concept for me. For those of you who are brighter that way, uh, again, if you listen to both shows, I think together they make a lot more sense to you than this one independently. Um, Watch the movie Ready Player One or okay. read the book. Um, that can give you an idea of kind of like what the metaverse might, might be. Not the yeah. Matrix? Or the Matrix, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the Matrix is what? The metaverse that we're not aware we're in. But, yeah, I mean, this is kind of get an idea of like what it might mean to traverse different worlds in some sort of virtual sense. You watch the movie Ready Player One. It's, it'll kind of help out. Okay. Well, all right. That, that sounds like a decent homework assignment. All right. Thanks very much for everything. We may reach out to you again. And uh, I appreciate your time and your expertise as always. Sure thing. All right. Thanks so much. And thanks for everybody for tuning in to Garden Views, and you will hear from us next week. Wow. Secretary Yellen, it, it was an honor to have you with us today. Well, it was my pleasure, Professor. It's always nice to speak to aspiring economists. Do we have time for one more question? Hey, I don't have anywhere to be. All right. Uh, anyone have a question? Come on, guys. The Secretary of Treasury is right next to us. Uh, yes, you, young man. Two silicon boys were talking outside, talking outside, talking outside. Okay, and so what is your question? Two silicon boys were talking outside, talking outside, talking outside. Uh, yeah, I, I heard you the first time. Now what the hell's an NFT? Apparently cryptocurrency. Everyone's making so much money. Can you please explain what's an NFT? I said, what the hell's an NFT? It's like real life monopoly. Everyone is doing it like Gronkowski. Can you please help me make an NFT? 
Son, I didn't understand a word you just said. Hey, thanks. That is not a compliment. Ah, I disagree. I actually see what you're saying, young man. Um, we are aware of NFTs, and they Excuse are currently... Me. I can break it down for you. I'm sorry, are you Morpheus from the Matrix film series? No, but I do have pills if you need some. Anyway, the thing about NFTs is... Okay, well, that was just a list of complete nonsense, but you're not totally wrong. Uh, can anyone here expound on that a bit more eloquently? Anyone? What about you, man with the mop? Who, me? Well, I wasn't really paying attention, but if I had to explain NFTs, I'd probably say that. Hey, here's the thing about NFTs. It's a non-fungible token, you see. Non-fungible means that it's unique. There can only be one like you and me. <laughs> NFTs are insane. insane. Built on a blockchain, That's right. a digital ledger of transactions. It records information on what's happening. When it's minted, you can sell it as art. And this concludes my rapping part. Wow, that's pretty much what I would have said, so thank you. You're welcome. Um, I don't know if this is too forward, but I actually have tickets for uh, UFC 260 if you guys want to come. Oh, hell yeah. yeah, yeah no doubt. Oh, great.